0: G'day, I'm Rowan Mackey and I'm joined by my dad, clinical psychologist Chris Mackey and this is Psych Spiels and Silver Linings. G'day dad, how are you doing this week? Good thanks Rowan and very glad to be with you
1: and on one of my favourite topics.
0: Absolutely, yeah, glad to be with you as always and glad to be with you for today's episode which we've called Separating the Psycho-Spiritual from Psychosis. So Dad, as you mentioned, I know and of course you know this is one of your favourite topics but do you want to just give our listeners a bit of an insight into what we're going to be talking about today? Okay, now it's a complicated topic and in some ways it's a difficult one
1: to talk about because it's hard to describe in some ways or define what we mean by mystical or transpersonal or spiritual experience and it's something which is relevant because a number of people who have these kind of experiences can either wonder themselves whether they're losing their mind or other people around them can think that they're losing their mind and may be related to psychosis but there are certain non-ordinary states of mind that have been recognized by all cultures over a great length of time that are seen as having some kind of validity to them rather than being psychosis. And they include things like certain kinds of psychic phenomena. It might be people having clairvoyant visions of things that have happened or uncannily seeming to be able to foretell the future. It might be related to telepathy. Or people might get a sense that they're hearing the voice of a deceased relative or even seeing a vision of somebody who otherwise is not there. It might be like of a ghost, for example. And so people describe these kind of experiences. Many people who describe these experiences are actually not psychotic. But many people don't talk about experiences like this because they fear that other people will think that they're losing their mind. And the other example, of course, is synchronicity or meaningful coincidences that we've talked about before. Sometimes things happen that are so weird, these amazing coincidences, and especially if they're very frequent or very strong and intense, that can lead people to be concerned about what's happening in their mind or other people questioning whether
0: they're going mad. Well, it seems to me with some of this sort of stuff that it's not necessarily the type of thing that you come across too regularly in everyday life. And one of the things that stood out to me looking at a little bit of this stuff is that it came from the field of transpersonal psychology, I believe from Stanislav and Christina Groff. And I understand that the idea of transpersonal psychology was a field of psychology which covers the whole field of human experience. So I imagine the context that you're hearing a lot of these stories and that many people are telling you a lot of these are quite an intimate context in terms of a lot of people are telling you things that they wouldn't necessarily have told before, that they're not even 100% maybe sure of themselves. So I wonder if that's potentially where some confusion can come in when talking about this subject Because it's not the kind of thing that we see too often in everyday life.
1: Yes, and following on from that, as we've talked about before, say with synchronicity, I didn't hear clients tell me stories of amazing, weird experiences so often until they knew that I was writing a book about synchronicity or had written a book on synchronicity. Then people told me more and more stories because they are more confident that I wouldn't just think that they were going mad. But also recently, the theme's coming up with a number of health professionals, including Dr. Bernard Biteman. He's a psychiatrist from the United States in Virginia. He has a terrific podcast called Connecting with Coincidence. And Bernie Biteman and myself and other mental health professionals who've written a bit about synchronicity or talked about synchronicity, we're getting about one or two emails a month or even more frequently from people writing to us because either... They were wondering whether they were losing their mind or someone else wondered whether they were going crazy, so to speak. And some people get in touch with us and they say that it's only because they've read articles that we've written or otherwise they've heard podcasts or something like that about synchronicity or weird experiences or transpersonal experiences that they've been more confident that they weren't losing their mind. And we think it's important to get this message out more because otherwise People might be more concerned about their mental health than they need to be. And also we need to look to develop ways of more reliably telling the difference between, if you like, meaningful mystical or spiritual experience that might seem somewhat genuine and what might be more concerning mental health problems.
0: I'm interested in the way that you're using the terms there spiritual and mystical interchangeably because I know myself and I'm sure many of our listeners out there they may relate to for example a spiritual dimension in life in terms they may have their own spiritual beliefs but not as many people I feel would have a set of mystical beliefs for example so I wonder if you can speak to the link there between spirituality and mystical experience Okay, now,
1: again, this gets quite complicated, but these are some of the ways I think of these terms. Let's just say we start off with transpersonal, the idea of transpersonal or spiritual. The way I think of it is, say in psychology, we talk a lot about the body and the mind, but we don't talk much about body, mind and soul. So I believe, as many people do, that there's a soul dimension in life, or if you like, there's some sacred dimension in life. And that sacred dimension, it might relate to a sense of purpose and deeper meaning in life, but also it might relate to something that Carl Jung called numinous experience. So numinous experience is like powerful, hard-to-explain, amazing kind of experience that seems a little bit otherworldly in some ways. It has a huge impact on us. It can make the hair stand out on the back of our neck, like some amazing coincidences can, or if people have an experience of maybe seeing a vision, for example. So this idea of numinous experience has a somewhat sacred... I would also say it has a mystical quality if it follows the features of mysticism or mystical phenomena as described by William James. So William James was a scientifically-minded psychologist from the early 20th century. He's one of the most prominent American psychologists and he defined mystical phenomena as having four different characteristics... One thing is, by definition, it's hard to define. So mystical phenomena are what he called ineffable. They're hard to define. So if we're struggling to put it into words, that's because of the nature of the experience itself. But another aspect he described is it's noetic. Noetic is like a kind of non-ordinary or intuitive knowing where the person seems to gain some kind of insight beyond what you can gather from the intellect or from rational thinking. So the idea of noetic, for example, telepathy or anticipating correctly something happens in the future, it's like someone seems to know something when it's really hard to explain how they know it. You can't explain it in rational terms or through the intellect. It's also transient. So mystical phenomena, it's not like they're lasting indefinitely. And that partly makes it very difficult to research it. It's not like phenomena that are going to be around and you can dissect it and analyse it like many other kinds of phenomena and also William James described mystical phenomena as showing passivity and what he meant by that is something being influenced, a sense of being influenced by something beyond our own will that suggests a kind of larger consciousness in life or some kind of higher order or influence in life beyond our own minds which is impacting on us.
0: Well, I wonder then if we could get into some real-world examples of how this plays out because as you're describing that, you know, we've had a a few conversations about this before, so I have a little bit more of an idea, But, but what comes to mind there when you're talking about things like telepathy is, for example, the book Matilda by Roald Dahl. And, for example, talking about ghosts and these sorts of things, I almost think of Scooby-Doo, the TV show, which almost had this caricatured idea of what a ghost or being telepathic actually is. So I wonder if you could just help us, in a a realistic sense, in in a psychological sense, how do these terms show up as examples in real life?
1: Okay, well, I just received an email or a message a couple of days ago from somebody who described that... His son, when he was younger, used to see visions or ghosts, if you like. For example, he saw someone sitting on the end of the bed. He described that his son doesn't have those experiences so much anymore. However, the parents recognised it's not like the son was psychotic. and They didn't interpret it that way. They thought he just had some kind of access to a different kind of consciousness or way of seeing things in some way. Now, I've seen a client who saw an image of his mother at the end of the bed when she wasn't there at a time when he was very needy for contact, like in, in hospital. But I've also heard several other stories from people. It includes clients, but also people other than clients, sometimes more than one person at a time see an image or a vision of a person who later on, in a sense, couldn't have been there. For example, an elderly lady, a group of three people saw at the top of a tropical island... She walked down the one trail ahead of them. They came down a few minutes after her, this long trail. They didn't encounter her all the way down. And they were so surprised, they asked people around at the bottom, have you seen such and such a lady? I said, no. And then they asked a fisherman, have you seen a lady coming down here? And they described how odd she was in her old clothes. And the fellow said, oh, yes, you must have seen the spirit of Mary Watson. They ended up on the yacht with the yacht skipper, Asked them how they'd gone and they said, look, there's this weird experience we can't tell any people about. But we encountered this little old lady. Somehow we walked down this track and didn't encounter her. The fisherman said she was the spirit of this lady, Mary Watson, who died many years ago. And the skipper said, oh, yeah, I've got a book about Mary Watson. It's on my shelf over here. And they resolved that they would never tell anybody that story Lest they be thought mad. So, when I've heard stories about this, that's partly what encouraged me to write about synchronicity, a book on that. And one time, a number of years ago, I mentioned to a psychologist colleague who I hadn't seen for about 10 years that I'd been writing a book on synchronicity. And she said to me something like, Oh, look, don't you think those things can just be accounted for by chance? And I said quite confidently, because I hear so many stories these days, I said, No, I don't think so. I think that there's some things happen that just are hard to explain, but it's not just explicable by chance, there's something else happening. And then she started to tell me this story that we didn't have time to discuss at the time but asked if I could get back in touch with her and then she told me the fuller story that was about her mother. And she told me this amazing story that there was a time when her mother invited her on a trip to visit a number of relatives and it seemed a bit strange because the mother was well at the time but the psychologist thought that it seemed like it had the quality of a farewell trip. Well, soon after this, sadly, her mother got sick and died. And later on, she fell into a real depression because she'd been very close to her mother and the grief was very difficult for her to experience. One thing that happened that was amazing to her is she had some photos developed that were from that trip in the days we had photos printed. And the photos of her mother, her mother's image came out as a negative image in contrast to the other people in the photographs who turned out normally. Now, that was very strange. But what happened quite some time later, she's still racked with depression. Her children are even saying to her, Mum, are you ever going to be the same again? And then something happened to transform the situation. She'd been with her infant daughter out in a park. because Her daughter was a finicky eater. And she could only get her to eat by looking up at these seagulls and the daughter would look up at the seagulls, open her mouth while she's looking wide-eyed and open-mouthed at the seagulls and the mum, the psychologist, would drop the food in her mouth. That's how she could get her to eat. And one day, the psychologist hears this voice calling her name. She looked around, there's no one there and then she unmistakably hears this voice calling her name again and she was convinced it was the voice of her mother. Now, at that point she became convinced that she still had some connection with her mother. Rather than her having lost her mother entirely, her mother still had some connection to her. She still had a connection to her mother, but in a different form. And we say sometimes with grief, over time, people might find that the bonds are not relinquished but they're transformed. Now, this was an experience that this lady had because of hearing a voice. Otherwise, we could think that's a, an auditory hallucination, a psychotic symptom, but in this case, it wasn't. In my view, it was a transpersonal, we could even say a mystical experience. Now, she kept that to herself because she thought that people would think that she was nuts if she said she'd heard this voice. But sometime later, she was watching TV and she saw a documentary involving researchers from Oxford University very reputable, and these people were talking about the experience of people hearing voices at times, hearing voices or having other experiences that had a very helpful healing impact for her. Because now she thought that showed that she wasn't going mad and other people might believe it, it's only then that she told her husband about that experience and then it really helped her recovery further. So there are examples of where people have these experiences, often don't tell other people, and that's where we're starting to hear from more people writing to us who say, look, I've had these experiences too. It's been very helpful to read things that you've written about these transpersonal and mystical experiences, what in some cultures are called satori, mystical experiences, and they're writing to us, and I sometimes... Call that Differentiating Psychosis from Satori. We're looking to help people differentiate what is a sign of poor mental health and going mad, if you like, from what might be meaningful spiritual, transpersonal or mystical experience.
0: Well, that's absolutely fascinating, that story. And I know these themes in terms of that psychosis and Satori, these have been explored for as long back as Plato who we've spoken a little bit about before and you've written in in your book as as well. But oh, there's a couple of things, Dad, that stand out to me from what you've said there. And, and one of them, I suppose, in my non-psychological education that I've had, the thing that really comes to mind there is the similarities with the plant ayahuasca in South America. It seems to me from everything that you've described there that... There's similarities with the experiences that people have whilst taking ayahuasca and you can have things that are completely irrational in terms of experiences such as for example shared irrational experience with a group of people who are taking it at the same time but what stands out to me about that and about what you said just before is that we really seem to lack an understanding of what's intangible in terms of even the way that we refer to the physical world it's it's very newtonian it was you know isaac newton's physics whereas it maybe doesn't account for elements of the quantum world and it centers everything around our senses in terms of if we can't see it hear it touch it smell it and feel it well then it doesn't exist but we know through our modern understanding of science and quantum mechanics and everything that There's actually so much more to reality than that. So it seems to me that there are elements in which scientific understanding does need to catch up in this sense. Yes, I think they're very
1: good observations and I'm interested in what you say about psychedelic drugs. There's actually more research being done now and a lot more interest in applying psychedelic drugs to conditions like PTSD or depression. Now, interestingly enough, Stanislav Groff was one of the people doing experiments on this in the early days, I think in the 70s, if not beforehand, and one of the things that interests me is now people are going back to the interest in psychedelic drugs, and you hear about it written about in reputable journals that they're starting to look at that. But one thing that interests me is they're interested in the psychedelic drugs, but they're not talking so much about what else Groff was emphasising, which was... This transpersonal, spiritual dimension underneath it all. Because I think that's where the action's happening, so to speak. And the psychedelic drugs might help people to tap into that. But the Groffs developed a technique called holotropic breathing, I believe. These other methods that helped elicit the same kind of responses, but maybe not have some of the complications of psychedelic drugs. But I think there is that element where a number of people's experience with those drugs can overlap with some of the findings from quantum physics. and It does also describe me, I heard recently someone telling you of an experience that they had with psychedelic drugs quite some time ago and it's like they saw this force between their hands, some kind of force or energy and things like that. Now, I think that might be literally true. I think there are certain kind of forces around us that we might not typically see, And people are increasingly talking about these different fields that there might be, even electromagnetic fields or other fields around us in some way. And I suppose that suggests that there might be more connections that we have with other people beyond the direct touch and vision and things like that that you described as well. So yes, I think that we could do with being more open to a different kind of understanding that might overlap more with quantum physics.
0: Well, one thing that really stands out to me there is that I remember hearing one time of a study that was done with people taking psychedelic drugs and one of the findings from that study was that they did personality tests and two years beyond taking those drugs, they found that basically every single person who'd taken the psychedelic drugs rated higher in terms of openness to experience on their personality test. Two years after, one single dose So it was as if that the change in their understanding of the world that was given to them by the psychedelic drugs and which I wonder if potentially this spiritual experience that we're talking about today, that could provide the same level of insight and understanding that could potentially lead us to having more of these open conversations in the future, I wonder.
1: That's a really interesting thing and without wanting to get too technical about it, so I'll be brief, but my master's thesis research with war veterans was on the notion of absorption or something related to openness to experience and its relationship with PTSD. And I've only just heard in the last couple of days that this phenomenon of absorption, which relates to openness to experience or openness to fantasy or thinking of things in terms of images, which is normally a positive and helpful personality trait, it might also lead people to be a little bit more likely to be open to mystical and transpersonal experiences. But it also relates to hypnotizability, and it can also lead people to be more prone to what we call dissociative symptoms or dissociative disorders that we've talked about in the past. that could be a different kind of thing where people have a sense of amnesia, so periods of missing time or standing outside their body and looking on as though they're looking at another person. So there's something about this dimension of absorption or openness to experience that also can make it more likely that we experience non-ordinary states of consciousness. So part of it is to try and get a sense of what is the nature of non-ordinary states of consciousness? What kind of things might be, well, even helpful like certain kinds of mystical or transpersonal experience often spiritual experience can help our health and well-being hence they're also exploring that more with PTSD and psychedelic drugs but there also can be through say absorption more likely that people will have some unhelpful dissociative symptoms including amnesia and periods of missing time and a sense of their identity altering as though there are a number of different people at the one time but also It could be just part of, generally, a more openness to life generally, an openness to experience generally, which is a healthy and helpful thing usually. So we're looking to understand some of these influences on our psychological functioning, if you like, and to identify some of the differences between certain types of phenomena. I suppose getting back to our original topic of helping separate the psychospiritual from psychosis.
0: Well, that, I think, is a, a really central theme to today's topic, obviously, with the, with the name that we've chosen for today's episode, Dad. But one thing that really stood out to me when you were describing that story before about the lady with her mother and the connection to her mother is that it may have seemed irrational to someone who, you know, had never experienced something like that before, but it seems so markedly helpful. And it seems to me that that idea, as you alluded to there, that idea of being helpful is something that really characterizes this idea of a spiritual emergency. And so I wonder if we could now differentiate a little bit between the difference between a spiritual emergency and psychosis, the more negatively connotated term of psychosis that we know to be the more pathological psychological condition. How do we differentiate between when it's the more negative psychosis and when it's more positive in terms of the experience we're talking about?
1: Okay, now one of the most helpful things I found about this was reading about some questions posed by a psychologist, David Lukoff. So David Lukoff is a clinical psychologist and transpersonal therapist who had a spiritual crisis of his own in his early 20s. And reflecting on that, it helped him come up with this list of questions that I think are quite meaningful. And perhaps the first question is, does the person suffer from some kind of mental health problem consistent with a recognised psychiatric diagnosis or recognised mental disorder, such as a psychotic condition or maybe a severe depression? So just say if we look at that earlier example with the psychologist I referred to, we would say, well, yes, she was suffering from a major depressive disorder quite clearly in the context of grief. Secondly, does the person's reactions involve some kind of mystical or transpersonal experience, even if it's in the context of a crisis? Well, if we allow for that Oxford research saying a number of people might hear voices in certain ways that can help them resolve certain experiences, then we could think, well, it does seem to have some of that mystical quality, and certainly the way that she responded to it suggested that it had that kind of quality. So thirdly, is a positive outcome likely? Well, in this case, that seems, yes, it was likely because she felt a renewed sense of connection, a renewed bond with her mother. So we can anticipate that this was likely a positive thing. But finally, is there a likelihood of harm to the person or others? Well, quite frankly, in that situation, I think the main risk of harm would be if she mistakenly thought that she was going mad. Or if other people assumed that she was going mad, if they heard that she'd heard a voice and if she was hospitalised and given antipsychotic medication, if you like, under those circumstances, we know that a number of people who are hospitalised In the context of what we might call a spiritual emergency, they tend to do worse. It's not as if the medication is going to address the issues that might be occurring also very much at a soul level. But in addition to those questions that Lukoff proposed, I'd actually suggest a few additional questions in terms of synchronicity. And I must admit, I'm maybe more attuned to this thing because a number of years ago, I deliberately acted on synchronicity, if you like, ticks from the universe to approach a certain challenging situation and I've written about this. A number of people at the time questioned whether I was becoming psychotic whereas to me these additional questions were consistent with how I was seeing things at the time and I think they would be another guide of someone, if you like, not necessarily going psychotic. So the first one is is the person acting in ways consistent with their longer-held personal beliefs or philosophy? For example, if a person were to see visions or hear voices, but that was part of their spiritual or religious beliefs, if you like, their belief system, then there'd be less reason to think of that as being some kind of mental health problem, if the person had functioned quite well in between. And also, just say for myself in that example... I'd long acted on synchronicity or amazing coincidences. I tended to see that as a tick from the universe. So even if it might lead to some kind of actions that other people would consider unconventional, to me I was acting very much according to my long-held beliefs if I was acting on synchronicity. So can the person describe a rationale for the ways that they are acting on synchronicity? So in that example that I gave, I'd long felt when i'd acted on synchronicity it tended to turn out favorably like the idea of a tick from the universe and i can honestly say in the 20 years prior i'd never felt let down by acting on that belief if i got a strong numinous feeling that that was the way to go the other thing is if the person has acted in a way to use synchronicity as a guide is there any evidence of their resulting actions having positive outcomes as opposed to negative outcomes Well, in the example that I use and wrote about years ago, it helped solve problems such as finding a builder for a house, helping manage certain decisions that need to be made at the time, including at work and in other areas of life, and there are a number of indicators that things were turning out uncommonly well. To me, it was almost like a kind of miracle energy happening at the time, even if it seemed a very unconventional way of looking to address problems. And then finally, is the person otherwise showing signs of stability, such as currently being able to manage with everyday life demands? Well, if a person's not properly able to, say, feed themselves or attend to their hygiene or manage with some basic routines of everyday life, then that's much more likely a sign of someone suffering from a significant mental health problem. It could be a psychotic condition. However, if the person's managing with their everyday affairs and... In terms of their ways of looking at things, the tasks that they're looking to achieve are unfolding in a direction consistent with what they would hope for. In other words, their goals in life are somewhat rational, what they're aiming to achieve, and their means of doing it, well, according to their experience, that's worked in the past, then I'm much more inclined to think, well, it's worth allowing that person to proceed according to their own devices because they might be going on direct personal experience that might be unconventional. We know that many people can act on direct personal experience in terms of some kind of mystical beliefs and if they believe they have had a clairvoyant vision, it might turn out that that was accurate. Or if they believe that they have some capacity to foretell the future in some way, and if that turns out in the way they predicted... I think that's evidence for it rather than evidence against it. Whereas if someone's repeatedly making predictions that are turning out wrong and then ignoring the evidence of that, that would be a different situation. Then we'd think maybe that's more of a sign of a mental health problem. So there's this wider context looking at is it kind of working? Because one definition of psychotic is the person has an irrational goal and irrational means like going up and down an escalator to become... A king and that would be maybe a ridiculous kind of goal and means of achieving it whereas if someone has a rational goal such as they want to achieve something but in irrational means we might call that more neurotic so the person's going about things in a way that are unhelpful and all the rest of it but if someone can articulate what they're trying to achieve and it seems that things are unfolding in that direction, even if they're achieving those goals quite unconventionally, including acting on certain kind of mystical beliefs, then I think that overlaps a bit more with what many cultures have recognised in terms of certain kinds of religious beliefs or even shamanism, if you like, or ancient kind of healing traditions have some of these conventions or beliefs that are now seen to be very non-ordinary or unconventional.
0: Well, one fascinating example that comes to mind as you're explaining that is, I remember hearing one time that the actor, Jim Carrey, basically when he was a teenager, wrote himself a check for a million dollars and just had, it was near enough broke at the time, he certainly wasn't a famous actor at that stage, but he just had this absolute belief, just this absolute, conviction that he was going to be famous he was going to be a famous actor and you could look at that and it's the sort of thing you know you talk about uh, irrational means well in many ways that's an irrational goal as well as irrational means you know like I, I remember being a kid i would have loved to have been a movie star but didn't quite get there but uh, but someone like jim carrey he you know by hook or crook got himself there and it seems that he was calling upon some of these i know you've described them as supra rational ways of thinking in the past Yes,
1: yes, I make that distinction because some things might not be well rationally explained but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're irrational. That's a terrific example of Jim Carrey. That's a really interesting story. I remember now that you've told me that once before but that's a remarkable thing because maybe it shows that there are different ways that things can work from what we might normally think is rational. For example, the notion of having significant wealth and maybe influence that can come with that or freedom Well, that seems to be a reasonable kind of thing of aiming toward in terms of our cultural values and, hey, this idea of envisioning it and making that a practical vision by writing himself a check, that seems to be like a kind of meditation on success that he somehow turbocharged and that certainly added to his engagement, his purpose, his sense of meaning and following through with what he did, I think he demonstrated that that might be an unusual way of going about things, but his faith, if you like, that belief that he had and that action that he took, well, I'd say the evidence says that it paid off.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I think I tend to agree. He's, uh, he's, he's quite a good actor, Jim Carrey. I must been, I'm a bit of a fan. But, uh, but Dad, what I wonder now is, it seems to me that there's something inherent within this spiritual experience that it's so far outside our existing understanding that it's something that could potentially be incredibly hard to make sense of. So I wonder, how do we make sense of something that potentially we have no concept of in the first place?
1: Okay, well, one of the things I find most helpful is what's called a psycho-spiritual model put forward by Ken Wilber. And so we took his term there, psycho-spiritual, in our title. Thanks, Ken. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Ken Wilber, yes. And um, so a remarkable fellow who's written a lot uh, from his philosophical perspectives. And the way that he described it is when we talk about personality development, like in psychology, we talk about people developing through certain stages, like people might start off as being more rigid in their outlook and then maybe learn to be able to conform more to other people, then go beyond that to be, say, conscientious, then you can grow beyond that to become more autonomous, then you can grow beyond that to become more integrated. you like your own person but you can still connect with other people. They're these recognised patterns of development. But Ken Wilber said they're all still part of what he called Egoic development, development of your ego. And he said there are stages beyond that, which he called transegoic. Now, with these transegoic stages, when people first encounter something like this, it's often through some kind of mystical experience, as defined by William James. And so, with synchronicity, it could be people repeatedly seeing the number 1111 on a clock. Or certain kind of weird coincidences coming up. Or one fellow I know who's written to me, in his early 20s, he suddenly developed this speed reading ability out of the blue. This amazing ability to devour all sorts of information very quickly. So these unusual or even psychic kind of experiences. And then beyond that, people can develop other remarkable kind of qualities, going further to being like the Buddha or Jesus, if you like, these other very higher level kind of understandings and connection with something larger, if you like, that I won't go into. Some of that's beyond my understanding, I would have to admit. I'm not at that stage yet. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the earlier stages of trans-egoic experience, then Ken Wilber described that there are a couple of traps that people can experience at that time. And one is that people can become so spooked out, if you like, so anxious or unnerved, by these unusual experiences that don't seem so rational, that people can shy away from that. Just like Abraham Maslow said as well, that can potentially stunt people's development. So, Abraham Maslow, who talked about self actualization, like William James, he was another person who looked at a higher spiritual transcendent aspect, if you like, that we might aspire towards when he's talking about self actualization. Or you talk about individuation in your podcast, it's leading towards that. So there's the notion that we can become nervous and agitated about that and think, oh, look, am I losing my mind? Will people think I'm too weird? And so then we can retreat back from that and that can stunt our development. But there's another trap that people can fall into as well. And that's getting overly caught up in what might be called the illuminations. It might be getting overly distracted by it and then maybe developing what we call psychic inflation. And that can be when the person thinks, I'm special. I'm having these special experiences. No one else is talking about this. I'm having all this amazing synchronicity. Hey, I've got this clairvoyant ability. Hey, I was able to foretell the future in some way. Or otherwise I'm getting some kind of insights that other people aren't having in certain kind of ways. There can be a risk then. that It's almost like such a, a big experience for people to come to terms with and integrate within themselves that people can get carried away with this psychic inflation. Actually, I might just mention an example. This is a story of how a synchronistic experience warned me not to get too carried away with synchronicity when I was at risk of getting distracted by the surface phenomena, if you like, and maybe a bit of psychic inflation, I might add to that. There was a time when I was in California writing some chapters for my first edition on synchronicity and I inexplicably got lost on the way back to the place I was staying. It was only half an hour away across an open field but I was distracted in thought. I ended up turning 90 degrees away from where I was meant to be walking and I ended up on this little bush road like a bush track. I saw an elderly fellow walking towards me with a dog. Now for some inexplicable reason or no obvious good reason i thought i'd just throw it out there as we're walking past he said hello hello and um he might have said what have you been doing but i think he might have just said hello and i just basically said oh look i'm here writing a book on synchronicity he paused he turned around i said that means meaningful he said i know what it means he said i've actually written a book called the spiritual athlete and he then started to give me a lesson in spirituality and the link between Indian philosophy and American philosophy and and the mystic Vivekananda and how he came to America and convinced the Rockefellers to then give to charity and change their spiritual beliefs. All sorts of different stories he told me about how many people in the West were getting into meditation, all these different kind of things. It was just remarkable how he gave me uh, a lesson and also a few tips on writing a book thrown in, which was pretty handy. Well, anyway, we met for dinner the next evening and he explained to me, look, you're mentioning a lot about the number six coming up a lot that I've described before as synchronicity. He said, look, you're mentioning this a lot. He said, look, you could get so focused on that and so distracted by that that you could be focusing on the sixes all the time and then at the end of your life you could look back and think, what was all that on about? And I thought, wow, this is synchronicity warning me not to get too caught up in synchronicity. It was kind of like saying, hey, don't get distracted by what's on the surface or the illuminations, so to speak, that Ken Wilber warned about. Look at what's underneath it all. Look at what's most important. It's one way or there are ways of accessing a deeper spiritual soul dimension in life that's what it's on about, mind, body and soul. I believe if we access more of that soul or spiritual dimension in a range of different ways, whatever ways suit us, that can help us have fuller lives and develop our personalities further in that trans-egoic direction.
0: Well, I certainly agree with that, Dad, and it seems to me that it really fosters connection between an individual and, and those around them in that situation. But One thing that I wonder about there is because there's an element to which the experience itself is something that can well, certainly be hard to tell people about. It can be hard to explain even to yourself at certain times. So I wonder then how would someone manage with the potential difference in understanding with those around them who hadn't maybe gone through an experience like that?
1: I think one of the things that really helps is if we meet people where we've developed a sense of trust and openness and we can say a little bit about our experience and then notice what we get back, but especially people that we trust to some extent. Or there might be family friends or people might know of people through the educational settings that they're in or a sporting club or people might just have some sense of being able to talk a little bit more with, with a mentor or a trusted figure. And in the long run, I think it really helps to have a spiritual friend. I have a number of people that I would call spiritual friends and it makes the world of difference to me. So I've written about how i came across a mentor over 30 years ago he's a well a a close family friend ross but i also refer to him as my mentor and what i mean by that is he was a person who helped me understand so much more about say synchronicity and accepting that and integrating that in your life it makes a real difference if you know of other people who've had certain kind of experiences which at times of the past and still now many people might find that through their religious beliefs but as we've said, about 25 to 30% of people might be spiritual but not religious and so not find that connection, say, in a church setting or a formal religious setting. But there are many people who have spiritual beliefs and sometimes just testing the waters a bit, including telling our stories of different experiences to different people and just saying a little bit at first, seeing if others are open to that and the chances are in time we'll be finding a number of trusted people that we can confide in further about those deeper kind of more personal experiences
0: and the other thing that stands out to me about that there is potentially it could really help to recognize when some of our friends who are might be our friends might be our very close friends but they might not necessarily be our spiritual friends in that situation too so it doesn't necessarily mean that we can't have a connection with someone but it seems to me that it may just not be those people that you would discuss something like this with
1: Oh, that's very true. And I have many friends who I would not think of so much as spiritual friends. But look, I could say, I love them. You know, like they're they're wonderful people. They're loving friends to me. And that's a spiritual dimension in life, as important as anything else. So we don't have to have people exactly share our beliefs. And we can have people that we're very close to who might even dispute our beliefs that way. Like one of my close friends just thinks I'm a weird kind of nut. That's, a, that's okay that doesn't matter I think he's an ultra rationalist that's fine <laughs> we get on fine just that way so yeah we don't have to be too exclusive about all of this but I did find it made a big difference to me when there were say two or three people I could have conversations like this even one but when there are two or three I just think that can be utterly affirming and it's wonderful to be able to talk in a very accepting way about things that other people might consider somewhat weird or unconventional but for us it's like talking about going to see a movie or playing golf or going to the milk bar or something like that it's just a normal part of life.
0: And I think that's one of the great things about the internet these days is that you can access communities of people who may be like-minded even over the other side of the world, you know. You can look up anything from kundalini to other yoga practices, meditation practices. So I'm sure there's absolutely plenty out there that, that you can connect with other people. But one thing that I wonder now, Dad, is... And I'm sure it's not something that's going to be completely prescriptive in terms of we've had these similar sorts of questions before and it's a little bit how long's a piece of string. But how long is it that someone is likely to experience a spiritual crisis?
1: Yes, it is how long is a piece of string and it can unfold over quite a period of time. But um, look, I'll tell one other kind of story at this point, which I rarely tell even though I've written a little bit about it. When I went through these very weird experiences about 15 years ago and friends that I was psychotic, most didn't, but some did, and I thought, okay, it's important for me to very much get back to my usual state. I had this conviction that I was going to get back to my usual state my normal sleep and thinking and energy patterns and all the rest of it but I wasn't sure at first how I would, but then I got a sense one day of what I needed to do, and this was just a day or two after. I'd had all these other kind of synchronistic experiences, had ticked off all the goals I wanted to achieve, no longer needed to be in this slightly altered, I could say somewhat hypermanic state, and okay, I thought, now I need to get back to normal. And I woke up one morning, and I could see the rising sun through curtains. And I had this image in my mind, Okay, what I need to do to very much get back within my own skin, very much be my normal self again, be very grounded, is I need to watch that rising sun over the next half an hour or so. And I focused intently on the rising sun. Now, because it was dawn, it was just a fairly soft light, but I slightly opened the curtains and I followed the rising sun up and I was concentrating on this sense of becoming more grounded within myself. I just focused on that kind of notion thought that's what I needed to do. By the way, I even took photographs while I was doing this because I thought, this is a weird thing I'm doing. I just feel I need to do it. I kind of know I need to do it. don't know exactly why, but I think it's going to work and I'm going to pull myself back into my usual self. So I'm taking these photos as well. The sun rises to a certain point. I think, okay, yeah, I think I feel a bit more normal in myself. And within the next day or two, it was very clear that I was... Back to my normal self, it was about a day or two after that was my mother's funeral and people said that I'd managed with the roles very well, I was very organised and there was no question from anybody about me being psychotic in any way. People saw me as being my normal self and I felt that this was to do with the way I'd got back into myself watching the sunrise. Well, about six months later I went to a conference which was on bipolar disorder. There was an Australian Australasian conference on bipolar disorder I thought gee it might be interesting going to that conference in Melbourne because I might learn a little bit about what happened with my own experience when I was like a bit hypermanic and had all this synchronicity now at this conference there was this presentation that absolutely struck me and it was to do with this it was someone talking about the potential danger that could come from listening to shamans and their advice because he talked of a fellow that he knew who was suffering from psychosis, I think a manic condition. And this person had read or heard or learnt from a shaman somehow or other that if you wanted to reverse a manic condition and become more grounded, if you wanted to address this, cure this, look into the sun. And he said the fellow had done this and he'd burned his retina. And that was the harmfulness of listening to a shaman. And I'm sitting in the audience with all these like academics and health professionals around thinking no no don't look into the sun when it's in the middle of the day or you'll burn your retina look in the sun at dawn or at dusk when that's what i found worked now of course i didn't say that to anybody but i just thought how remarkably synchronistic that was that there was this very unusual experience i'd gone through which had this noetic quality i felt that's what i needed to do and it just overlapped with what a shaman had apparently said about someone else becoming more grounded. So I can't help but think that that's a thing, but it's a very unusual thing to explain. I wouldn't pretend to understand it fully in any particular way, but I think it just hopefully encourages to be open to different kind of ideas but also be a little bit careful about our ideas to look to still check them against some kind of rationality or objective signs of whether things are working well for us or not not just to get some idea in our head and act on it without any checks or balances so to speak but i must admit i've had many experiences like that that lead me to be much more open about there being a mystical dimension in life
0: Oh, well, I remember, uh, I remember reading that story in your book, Dad, and I also remember there was another bit of synchronicity related to that story related to a Pete Murray song. So for those who are interested in that story, you may have to read the book. You have to check out the book. So we'll put out the link for that one for today, and you can also get it on Audible as well if you're not a reader. So no excuses for not checking that one out now.
1: Yes, well now Rowan I feel like I've outed myself a bit but there again I think I've outed myself with weird stories many years ago including writing about them in the book and actually it does remind me. A number of years ago I saw this wonderful therapist called Max Clayton and I was seeing him from a position of strength then but I still wanted to review some things in my life and I met him for a number of sessions and I remember at one stage thinking gee I think Max might think I'm a little bit weird. Yeah, you know, he was very transpersonal himself. And at one stage I thought I'd check with him because I see myself as a very mainstream psychologist, the way we work in some ways with CBT and things like that, trauma therapy, very conventional. But I thought, oh, look, I might actually check with him. And so somehow or other I was inviting him to make a comment uh, along the lines of, oh, look, d- do you think I'm weird? And he said to me, you like E.T. <laughs> OK, well, I took it from then, well... I might as well be myself, and there's license to maybe be a little bit weird. I didn't feel who's been too judgmental. And gladly, I haven't suffered too much at all from telling these stories over the years.
0: Well, uh, I feel that little story just illuminated so much about my life, Dad. So th- thank you, for son of ET. <laughs> exactly, I know. Uh, well, thank you so much, honestly, for for chatting with me about all this today, Dad, because um I've really expanded my understanding about this stuff, and I know that we've had a, a bit of a discussion about these things in the past before, but I feel like I've got a, a bit more of my finger on it all today, and and it just seems to me if there's anything that really stands out, it's that when people go through experiences that we don't relate to as much in terms of our own experience well one of the main things really is to show them compassion in that situation don't just automatically think that someone's psychotic or that they've you know gone off the rails to use a more colloquial phrase don't use such negative terms and negative connotations as that it really seems that there is such a a range of experiences that can be had within the human condition that To dismiss something that someone experiences just seems to me to lack the compassion, even if it is potentially a little bit more psychotic. I think if we can uh, look at ways of of really helping people and looking to understand people where they're at, at the very least, that that seems like it's going to be something that will benefit people.
1: Yes, I think being open to stories, it adds to the richness of life and I think it really adds to our connections with each other.
0: Well, we'll put up all the resources for today's episode up on the podcast page at chrismackey.com.au slash podcast. And I might even put up a few more resources with this one, Dad, because I must admit I've had a bit of fun with this topic this week, looking at people like J.B. Ryan and and Rupert Sheldrake and and some of these more scientific uh, spiritual minds. It's been really interesting. So if you're interested, I hope you get something out of that too. And thanks so much again, Dad. I look forward to the next one.
1: Thanks, Ryan. I've really enjoyed our conversation.